Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real People. Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry is entering its 27th year and 11th season of Women's Empowerment Sessions. So happy new year to all of you. It's a blessing to be back doing what I love, empowering men and women to live their best lives. Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry may not be a household name, but still, I am proud of its development and where we are going. I look forward to many more years of ministry and programs that enlighten, educate, motivate, encourage, and elevate our sisters in the faith. Today is the start of a brand new podcast series designed to inform our community of important information regarding our children. I have a great love for the children in our community. That is why our executive board put so much time into developing our junior division, Start Right, Stay Right. Giving our children a head start will ensure they are successful in the future. Today, we will start a conversation about IEPs and 504s. IEP stands for Individualized Education Programs and it's put in place um, for the special education instructions of our children who are in need of one. An IEP supports what a student needs to thrive in school and is part of pre-K all the way through 12th grade. Um, I have with me today two of my executive board members. They are new to Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry, but they came to work and I am grateful to have them on board. They bring their expertise with them and I will utilize them wisely as Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry members. Lexi Sims is a certified psychologist in New Jersey, California, Michigan, and Maryland. She has been a school psychologist for four years and is very excited to be in her fifth year. She was born and raised in New Jersey, but currently resides in Maryland. She loves moving and living in new places, but her favorite cities are Las Vegas and San Francisco. She is Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministries' newest executive board member, serving as the chair of the Relationship Committee and board secretary. Naja Smith is a native of East Orange, New Jersey, and resides with her two daughters in the city of Orange, New Jersey. Naja is an avid, uh, avid reader, excuse me, and loves to write. Becoming a mom led Naja to become more involved in her children's education, which led her to join Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry. She serves on the executive board and is the co-chair of the Relationship Committee. So welcome to the show. Let's get started. Okay, so Lexi, we're gonna start with you and we're going to um, give you the floor and open things up for you to first explain to us in detail what an IEP is. I gave a little short synopsis, but I know nothing. So I want you to lead us into um, what is an IEP and why does my child or any of our children need an IEP? So why don't we start right there? Okay. Okay. So IEP is an acronym that stands for Individualized Education Plan, and it's a legal document or educational document that is for children um, diagnosed or suspected of having a disability. And an IEP 
Um, it must be developed at public schools for each child that requires special education services. So um, an IEP is a legal document. It does have federal law that needs to be followed. And there are rules and regulations and guidelines associated with federal law when it comes to IEPs. And it's an education program that specifies the disability that the child has on why the child was eligible for, eligible for the IEP services, what that disability is and the definition of that disability and how it pertains to that specific child. So for example, an IEP may say the child is eligible due to a diagnosis of autism or presence of autistic characteristics, but we do have to specify how this particular child is displaying autistic characteristics since autism is very broad and a lot of these disability codes are very broad. So in these documents, we do have to um, specify um, what specific characteristics of the disability that this child is displaying and how these specific characteristics impede on the child's learning. And the IEPs also include the child's present um, academic, cognitive, social, emotional, and behavior functioning within the classroom, as well as the parent's input regarding concerns that the parent has regarding the child's developmental um, progress in all those different areas regarding the progress at school and at home. And the um, the plan also specifies the different um, deficits the child has specified goals that the team has decided on um, that the child is going to work on for the next year to um, try and close those academic or behavioral or um, social gaps between their general education peers, as well as um, a specific timeline on when we hope the child is going to make these goals. These goals are also broken up into individual objectives as well. So um, the child can meet a bigger goal in smaller manageable portions that also can be monitored as well. And um, the plan also specifies the services that the child is going to be receiving to help the child meet those goals, to address the deficits that are outlined in the IEP. Um, and as I was mentioned before, that an IEP follows federal law, that federal law is known as Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA. And that is a federal law that all states have to follow when providing IEP or special education services to children um, within that state. Um, however, although there may be a federal law, there are state laws as well um, in terms of um, the rules and guidelines and eligibility criteria for a child to become eligible for an IEP. Um, so although um, there is information out there that specifies what the federal law is for an IEP, the state also, well, the state that each family resides in also has information um, on the internet on how that state follows the IDEA or special education law. Um, and it does differ from state to state, um, even within a state, it still may differ slightly from district um, to district. And a child may need an IEP if the child has a disability, but the disability is impeding on their education and impacting their ability to learn and also impacting their ability to acquire knowledge. Um, so um, a disability does not automate an IEP. I mean, it also doesn't automate other education plans, but at least if the parent can present a disability to the school, then that leaves the school up to decide, well, what's the next step? What's the next plan that would be appropriate 
um, for the child. Um, so if a child has a disability that impacts their ability to even be within the general education program, to understand the general education material, to um, access the material either through listening, hearing, writing, um, if they're having trouble accessing that information, accessing that material, and even understanding the material, that's when a child may need a specialized education. Um, also, could they may need specialized instruction. It could be that they have such um, a significant disability or impairment or deficit um, that they're not able to perform on a grade level. Therefore, they need material that is below grade level. So for example, a child may be in fifth grade, but they may have such a significant reading disability that they're reading on a third grade level. They may be in that fifth grade class, but they may need specialized reading instruction back on a third grade level to help them acquire those material, um, those skills that third graders use before they can read to fourth grade material, before that child can even progress with fifth grade material. Um, so the instruction is very individualized and tailored to the need of that child. You, you have mentioned, because this is something that I picked up when you were talking, even if just because you have a disability does not automatically put you into an IEP, it has to be um, it has to impact your learning somehow. So you can have disability and it doesn't impact your learning and, and you're you're fine that you won't be giving an individual um, educational plan. Is that correct? Because that's what I'm hearing. Is that is that the correct um, thing to say? Yes, that is correct. Because although a child may leave a doctor's office or another type of provider's office with a diagnosis, and some doctors will write in their um, prescription pads, the child needs special education services, but that is not for that provider to decide. And it is at the basically at the discretion of the school district. The school district is to determine along with the parent what the what the child needs. And sometimes um, disabilities can affect learning. Um, and when I say learning, that could be academic learning, social emotional learning, and behavioral learning as well. Um, sometimes disabilities do not impact learning or does it impact it to that level where they need specialized instruction. So parents may have knowledge of the different um, ways that their child's disability can impede on their child's learning, but we also have to analyze, is this ability impeding on the child's learning? Although it can, is it actually impeding on this child's learning right now? And that's when we meet with the parent. Um, and we like to review the data that a provider has provided them as well as their academic data from school regarding test scores, parent reports, teacher reports from previous years and the current year and report cards to determine if there is an impact educationally or socially or behaviorally. Because if there's not an impact, then how is the plan going to benefit the student if there is not an impact? Right, right. Also, does, uh, um, well, I'm not talking about the preschool type uh, students, but this IEP goes all the way up to 12th grade, right? Um, so what actually goes all the way up until the age of 21 from children ages three through 21 years and 11 months can have their IEP services as long as they are still enrolled in a public school. There are some children with severe disabilities where they are still 20 years old in 12th grade um, because their disability is so severe, they need extra time. 
Oh, okay. All right. So um, they may need an IEP for the rest of their whole entire schooling. Yes. Is there an um, incident where you can stop the IEP if, if a child is catching up, if a child is on point? Do they yes. can stop the IEP or does it go away at that point? Um, so with the IEP, um, it is reviewed annually. So every year, the IEP is reviewed to determine if the child's been making progress with their current services, review the progress reports. IEPs do come with at least four progress reports that are provided at the end of each quarter. And in my experience, they typically go home around progress, um, around report card time. So at the end of each quarter or each marking period. And um, at the annual review IEP meetings, we the team, and when I say the team, that is teachers, parents, um, maybe even a school psychologist, different providers, um, and review the child's goals, their progress toward those goals, and also reviewing all the present data as well. Test scores, parent-teacher input. There's a lot of data that is used to determine if a child can be exited from special education. And they are on truly a case-by-case -case basis um, because it differs per child. Each child makes growth differently. Um, but that's why they, um, the IEP is reviewed annually to ensure that they are making progress. And if they're not making progress, to address it at that specific meeting and revise the plan. So then the plan is already appropriate for the following year. Um, as well, children that receive services are required to be reevaluated every three years to ensure that the classification or disability code that they have is still appropriate. And if they still still need services, are they still meeting eligibility criteria for this disability code? And through the assessment, whether it's formal assessment, something that the school psychologist does, or an informal assessment through reviewing current and previous data, um, that's what's used to determine if a child can be exited. Um, what needs to happen for a child to be exited that is very difficult to say. It truly is a case-by-case -case basis. And I would have to review that child's IEP and consult with the team um, and review the data to determine if exiting is appropriate. But typically, um, if the child has been making progress with their IEP, as well as we're seeing that gap between their general education peers and that child's performance continually to close, that's when we can have a discussion regarding um, need um, discontinuing services. So it truly is case by case. Okay. And the parents role in this, do they, do the parents have the option to stop an IEP or even insist on the IEP? If, if it's, if let's just say the committee gets together and they say that they don't believe that this child should have an IEP, but the parent disagrees. Is there a process in place for a disagreement of sorts? Um, yes. So at the meeting, um, parents are always notified. I think it's typically five days before a meeting, a parent is sent home written notification that a meeting is going to be taking place. So they're always aware and they can prepare to bring any representation, whether it's an actual advocate from advocacy agencies or a lawyer or even just a support person. Maybe sometimes I've seen friends, godmothers, just the parent needs emotional support. And that's fine too. The school just needs to be notified you're bringing someone. Um, and when the, the parent attends every IEP meeting, the parent is informed of their legal rights in this process. They're called 
procedural safeguards and rights or parent procedural safeguards and rights. And throughout that document, it's a pretty thick packet. It does specify and explain what the parents' rights are in the special education process. And within that rights packet, there is um, a blurb that states that a parent can have representation at a meeting and a parent can also file due process if they feel that they are in disagreement with the IEP. Of course, we want the parent to come to the meeting and express their concerns to the team. So the team has the option to discuss and rectify them in that moment. But even if that moment, if the team is suggesting is, is not recommending an IEP, the, but the parent insists on an IEP, um, the parent has several options. They can either reach out to an advocate or a lawyer to follow through with due process. Typically our packets specify the number and the department to call um, to file a complaint or to file due process because you want to follow through with pursuing special education for your child. And then that's when the school district's legal team or that that specific department will fall through, um, typically with the um, IEP chairperson or the principal of the school or the special education director to follow the next steps on regarding mediating. Um, and I've seen that happen in various ways. Sometimes it's just another meeting with the parents and their lawyer and the district and their lawyer. And now we're discussing the evaluation results and trying to proceed. Sometimes it gets more serious where it is brought to court and there is a mediator in that situation and it's a court proceeding. I haven't been in those situations before, um, so I'm not sure how mediation goes when they're in court, but um, I, I just haven't gotten to that extent. But there's times where the parent has disagreed and our next meeting has been the lawyer from the district and the, and the parents. And sometimes those may those meetings may last three months because we're going through page by page and we don't move on to the next page or the next session until we all agree with what's being said. Um, so it can be a lengthy process depending on how well both parties are working with each other. But um, sometimes even myself as a psychologist, I've had to express to parents, reread your packet. If you're concerned, reread your packet. Remember, you've got rights in your packet. I always refer them back to that packet because it does specify what their next step is to do if they are in, in disagreement. Okay, very good. Okay, so will having an IEP affect them getting into college? Not getting into, no. Um, because um, Typically, um, the special education documents, even 504 documents, they're HIPAA protected um, and they're not typically a part of the common application when children do apply for college. But we do stress to um, our high school students is after they are accepted into their college and when they have their orientation, especially since now that things have opened up, if their orientation is in person, to bring their, I, not their IEP, because once they graduate from high school, their IEP legally turns into a 504 document. So we still have them take their IEP. If they still have an IEP just graduating high school or if they're graduating high school with their 504, take that document with them. Typically it's the student center at the colleges where they go to have their um, 504 plans implemented within the college university. Um, it is very important. And we express this to our high school students, although when they're just graduating, they still have mom and dad to guide them through this process. We really stress to the children, 
to advocate for themselves because something we've realized when our high school students go to college, oh, my teacher doesn't follow up with me all the time. They don't ask me questions all the time. They don't ask me where I was, where my homework is, why I'm late. So we write it, we write, we try to teach advocacy um, and dependency when they're and like in their 10th through um, before they graduate high school. So they're used to going up to a teacher and saying, I need extended time for my project. I need extended time for my test. Um, so it is up to the, the child to advocate for themselves with their directly to the professor or the student support center, the department at the college that implements the 504s to make sure they're still getting their accommodations. So schools do not um, they still can't discriminate if a child has a disability, but it is up to the, the student to advocate once they're accepted into school to have their accommoda accommodations be put in place. Okay, great. Now you you mentioned 504. Mm -hmm. And um, so can you um, briefly explain um, what a 504 is and the difference between the two? Yes. Is there a difference between the two? Yeah, so um, 504 plans, um, I think they still fall under IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and 504 plans are accommodations for children within the general education setting. So with a special education IEP program, it can alter, it can change the information and the curriculum that's being presented to the child. With the 504 plan, they are getting accommodations, so they're getting um, different strategies to help them access the education, but the education that they receive is the same curriculum as everyone else in the general education setting. Um, their tests cannot be modified or changed. Their reading material cannot be changed. Their writing material cannot be changed, but they can be provided with resources to still complete their academic tasks. So for example, accommodation would be extended time larger print instead of the same small print that everyone else gets in the classroom, um, maybe a separate room to take a test. Um, maybe when they're getting instruction, sitting in a class with 30 other children is too hard, too much noise, too many people around. So they're listening to everyone and looking at everyone. Maybe they need a smaller setting. They're still getting fifth grade reading material, but it's 10 students instead of 30 students. So a smaller setting creating an environment where the child can still access the education that their non-disabled peers are accessing. Okay. Um, so that's the main difference between a 504 and an IEP. Um, one, you're asking for specialized instruction. You're asking for specified individual support. Whether for a 504 plan, the child um, is still participating in all of the general education whole group instruction, but certain supports to be put in place, even repeating directions, slowing down when you talk, um, checking for understanding with the student after you give a whole group instruction, going to the student specifically, or even two students if a teacher knows two students have a 504, and repeat the directions to them in a smaller setting, make sure they understand, tell me the directions again to make sure you understand. So those are just some specific examples of what an accommodation is. And that's where 504 differs from an IEP. Okay, that was, that was good. So what type of progress can a parent expect to see um, during this time with an IEP or a 504? Okay, um, so that's a bit tricky to answer. And I just say that as a 
as a professional that has attended many IEP meetings with parents, and I'm not saying this to be rude, but it, it's just a caveat and a realistic expectation is that although special education is beneficial, we cannot cure our disabilities in our children. Um, so we do create goals and the objectives that I mentioned. So the child has a specific goal that they're working for throughout the school year. So we're really working on these goals and these objectives throughout the year. So when we review progress reports um, at the end of every quarter and these IEPs at the end of every year, we're looking to see if the goals that we set for that child, if they're meeting their goals, are they meeting these smaller objectives to meet that whole goal? If they're not meeting that objective, then is it because the objective has not been introduced? That's a question that gets answered at the IEP meetings. Is it because the services that are put in place for the child not beneficial, therefore we have to change the, um, the supports or the intervention put in place? Um, so in all, you should see, I would say, a parent should see some progression. And when I see some, it may be slow, but they're progressing. Say the goal is to be able to identify all 26 uppercase and lowercase letter names and sounds. But say by the end of that year, they masked 13, not the full 26, but 13, especially if they started from knowing five letter names and sounds and now they know eight more. They didn't meet the goal, but they did meet they, they grew, what, I said five to 13, eight, eight letter names and sounds. So that is growth. So that's something we also try to um, encourage the parents is that if we, they didn't meet the goal, they made progress because we're looking at their progress reports. Also, the present level data that also changes every year. If we're reviewing the IEP in January of 2023, we would hope that um, all the present levels regarding behavior and academics have improved. And if nothing has improved, then, you know, we give the parent the, you know, the opportunity to vent, to express their concern, to express their disappointment if they have any. But then the school addresses, we hear you, we understand, but this is how we recognize that the service is not appropriate to meet that goal. Or we notice throughout the year, the child needed um, extra support. So we feel like we need to update the IEP to document these supports and we need to continue these supports for a longer period of time so they can make progress. Um, also, if a parent is concerned maybe throughout these progress reports throughout the school year that they're not seeing progress or maybe they're not seeing progress that the parent would like to see, the parent is within their legal right to call a meeting whenever they want to. They just have to reach out to their child's case manager to schedule such a meeting. And again, if they're bringing any representatives, just to let the school know. But a parent can schedule a meeting halfway through the year, two months after the year has started, just to address some concerns they have regarding progress, or if the parent is informed of something else outside of school that they feel like could help their child, they're more than welcome to have a meeting with the school to bring it to the school's attention to discuss what to do next. And I've been in positions as a provider where after working with a student, I have additional concerns regarding their learning or the behavior that I feel I need to update their IEP myself to ensure that they're going to meet their behavior goal by the end of the year. Um, so there's times where um, the providers will call and say, you know what, after giving therapy, whether that's 
social skills therapy or speech therapy for a month. They need more services because they are um, maybe a whole year and a half grade level below than what was first presented as more time has gone on. Um, So that was a roundabout answer, but those are different scenarios on how progress could be met and expected and monitored throughout this process. Okay. So I want to take a minute to add um, Naja into this conversation. She's been um, on the um, line with us and she is going to be actually acting as our parent liaison as we continue. And later on, we will do a question and answer um, session with Lexi. But um, Naja, um, what in this conversation that we've had so far, was there anything that stuck out to you at this point thus far where we are? Was there any questions that were not um, answered? Because I'm I'm here hosting and Lexi has given us the, um, the broad view, but as a parent, um, is there anything that we may not have addressed from this moment that you might wanna add? Um, I'm gonna be completely honest. I think yeah. Lexi, you are, Phenomenal. <laughs> that was phenomenal because I'm sitting here like, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think you did an you're doing an amazing job. I think you answered everything properly because there was some stuff like even with the the, the 504, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know the difference. So yeah. I know the difference. And I think it's good that you even said about like the kids when they get to a certain age that they have to advocate for themselves. Because mm-hmm. that's the hard part teaching a child that does have a learning disability to be able to advocate for themselves. Like my child, especially mm-hmm. because she has that learning disability and it's hard for her to pick up on things. You know, I, um, I don't know you, I think you said like around 10th grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I think I'm going to try to implement that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try to implement that now, having her be more, because aw- for her, she needs to be more aware. She's not as aware as I would like her to be. Um, but giving them that type of responsibility, I think that was uh, that's amazing because I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know like okay, they like co- during college like have to advocate, be able to advocate for themselves. Because I know me, I'm a, I'm probably gonna be next to her in the college room trying to be in, in like listen, you need to right. But I think that that was great that they they have to learn to advocate for themselves in that aspect when it comes to their learning because as parents we want to do everything. Right. Yeah. And um, one strategy that we give high school children um, is we try to find ways where they feel comfortable talking to their teacher. So a lot of times raising your hand is so intimidating. I hate raising my hand as an adult in webinars. I will wait to talk to the professor at the end when everyone else is gone. So one thing that we tell to students, even you want to share to your daughter if they want to wait till everyone's gone to ask the teacher a question, if that's still intimidating, maybe putting a post-it on the teacher's note, if you want to set like maybe whatever your child's favorite color is, say it's green. If she puts a green post-it on the teacher's desk and that teacher, you have to communicate with the teacher so they know, hey, Sarah is having trouble asking for help. Can we have Sarah put a green de- a note on, uh, post-it on your desk and when you see a green post-it, you know, Sarah needs your help. And that and that's what we tell for students to have a nonverbal communication with teachers. Put a post-it on your desk. That's where the teacher knows that's their way of asking for help. I just need to walk over and initiate. Um, so that's just a small way your, your daughter can try and um, ask for help. Just putting a, a post-it on the desk to 
you know, to ask for help, or even if there is a peer that um, can be a a role model or um, a teacher, there's some peers, even in elementary school, can help other children. If she feels more comfortable with a peer helper, talk to the teacher if there's a specific child that is willing to help your daughter, maybe she'll feel more comfortable getting extra assistance if she feels comfortable asking a peer. And she could start slowly, ask a peer. Once you feel comfortable with that after the first week, maybe we can ask your teacher. Maybe we can move forward with asking an adult. Um, But those are different strategies we try to help high school students. If they're nervous, just walk up to a teacher. Other ways they can still communicate. Or your daughter's not writing yet, but if she wants to, if you want to help her write a note, can I see you after school? Can I see you before school? Um, so she can also ask for help in writing, which is what we tell high school students, send an email to your teacher, write a letter. That's a good idea. And put it in their mailbox. And Those even are- also, that, that's a good idea. Even also, because I know like my oldest, she has IEP. My four-year-old, I'm trying to get her an IEP. And when you said that, I was just like, okay, yeah. But parents, as far as like, be, for her, it's not, for my oldest, it's academic. But for my youngest, it's behavior problems. Like she's super smart, but she has behavioral issues and she has issues with, um, what do you call it? Like uh, forming relationships with her peers. Mm -hmm. She likes to play by herself a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a, that was a good topic too. Like, okay, if for me, like getting that extra help, the, the school was just like, oh no, she doesn't need any services. And I'm just like, I think she does. So it's like right now I'm in a fight. Like Mm -hmm. I think she does. So Mm -hmm. I have one person who is actually helping me that works at the school. And she's like, write a letter, write the letter, get a letter from the doctor stating um, what you feel. Cause she did act out in the doctor's office. So one of the doctors did see her in action. So I was kind of happy about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, they were just telling get a letter from the doctor stating that you feel like she needs to be evaluated for a certain type of autism. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is like, so that right there was like, okay, I, ha- I know for me, I have to push a little bit harder because they see that she's so smart that they're like, oh no, nothing's wrong with her. She doesn't need anything. She's fine. I'm like, no, behavior wise, she needs some type of assistance, some type of help. Cause I don't want her to go into kindergarten and they just write her off as, oh, she's just bad. Mm-hmm. I don't want that for her because I know she's not bad. Mm-hmm. She's I don't know. So I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. So me as a mom, I can be able to help her more. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a little bit discouraging too when, you know, we just get written off. Yeah. Like, oh, she's fine because she's smart. She's fine. So for me, that was a little bit discouraging. And I started like, okay, well, if she's fine, then what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. There has to be something else. Mm-hmm. But like going forward, I'm like, no, there is mentally, there is something that's just not clicking mm-hmm. for her. And I'm like, I need more help. So they're like, oh, maybe you can get services outside of the school. Of course, when you call for services outside of the school, you have to pay. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't afford to do that. Okay, so Lexi, another question then, um, going off of what um, Naja is saying. I, um, I even mentioned it earlier in the conversation. So when we have a parent... Uh, such as Naja, who feels that her child really does need some sort of services because of something that she can't quite pinpoint, mm-hmm. but she knows that it's, inter- it's going to interfere mm-hmm. at some point with her child's um, educational path. Mm-hmm. So what can be done in that situation? Because there was obviously, there's no one collaborating her, her idea that there might be an issue here. 
Mm -hmm. What does she do at that point? So my suggestion to you, Naja, and to any parent in this situation is to write a formal letter mm -hmm. to the school requesting an assessment stating why you are concerned or what you're concerned about her social skills, her behavior skills, and specify is it following directions, is it sitting during instruction, um, and you would like to, um, you're requesting an assessment to determine if your child is eligible for um, accommodations or modifications. And that is a, um, a common misconception schools sometimes have is that if the behavior is not interfering with their learning, such as their academic learning, then they tend to not address the behaviors. However, behaviors can in in interfere with the other children's learning. Your daughter mm -hmm. may be picking up on everything the teacher is saying, but if her behavior is affecting everyone else from learning, then that is an area of concern. Also, if it's affecting her social emotional learning, her ability to learn from peers, make friends with peers, have appropriate social interactions, that is a cause for addressing as well because social emotional learning is a part of educational learning. So it actually does sound like there there is a concern that needs to be addressed. Again, mm -hmm. I'm from the outside. I've never met her and I'm not at the school. But just as my experience with children that have behaviors, but they can still, they're learning, their behavior impacts everybody else from learning and from forming friendships. Um, so I think you should write a formal letter, um, even have the doctor, the fact that the doctor observed the child, if the doctor wants to provide either a summary of an observation or if the doctor has her own diagnosis to provide, provide that diagnosis or summary observation report with your letter. Um, they also have 10 days to respond to said letter to have mm -hmm. the meeting to address the letter. Um, and if they still decide we're not moving forward with testing, then my recommendation to any parent would say, then I would like to move forward with interventions. What are some interventions to put in place to help with her peer building relations, building peer relationships? Is there small, is there um, social skills counseling that she can participate in? Does a teacher do any social emotional whole group lessons? Is there any modeling or role playing that my child can participate in? Um, when my child plays with another peer, is it possible an adult can be present to help facilitate back and forth reciprocity. Um, if there's um, other behavior interventions in the classroom that she could use for, um, maybe my child needs small group. What about um, extended time? Can my child sit, stand up instead of sitting down if she has a hard time remaining seated? Can my child have a break after she works for something for 10 minutes, a five minute break? Those are specific interventions that schools do have to provide to address concerns, even if it's just behavior concerns, they are required to uh, accommodate or try and um, remediate some of those deficits that are being displayed, even and um, even for behavior. Sometimes behaviors don't need full-on 504 or IEP plans, but maybe a simple behavior support plan in the classroom with those interventions that I mentioned. So if they're not going forward with assessments, then other interventions to 
um, to work to help your student. Mm -hmm. um, and my school has student support plans where that is not a federal or a state law plan, but it is a plan that is developed within the school and with the teachers. And it typically does follow the child from school year to school year will they review the plan and the plan specifies the behavior or academic concerns. Some plans have goals as well and the different supports that um, the child will receive to help accommodate for the behavior concerns. So I know that was a lot, but if there's anything no, I need to repeat or no, elaborate. That, that, that was good. I wrote some stuff down and it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. that was that was excellent. But I, was. I, want, I do want to ask this one question though. So where would a parent begin? Who I mean, who should a parent talk to? Is it the principal? Is it the teacher? Is it the school psychologist? Who should a parent address when she when she first has a concern or he first has a concern about what is happening with their child that no one else can see but them? Who's the first person they should um, contact? Is it the teacher? Is it the, the school? The first person they, yep, is yeah. the teacher, especially if okay. the child is doesn't have any of these plans and the first person would be the teacher and work directly with the teacher. Now the teacher, um, he or she may follow through directly with that school counselor for support or the school psychologist or sometimes a teacher also communicates directly with a special education teacher. Um, mm -hmm. So the teacher in school may go to one of those three providers for support on how to help the child. Um, so the parent can communicate directly with the teacher. Um, if the teacher and the parent are going back and forth and they're both feeling, okay, we're trying this, not sure what else to do, then I think as a parent, the parent should just follow through and communicate with the school psychologist. And I, I don't say that for parents to step on other providers' toes. I just think as school psychologists that are trained regarding special education law and procedures that I think the school psychologists will automatically start with interventions, knowing in cases goes to a plan referral, at least there's been interventions and data to document, to defend any decision we make later on in the road. So I do think at least if you feel like you're not getting support through the teacher, then at least a school psychologist, because I do know as a school psychologist myself, when a parent comes to me with concerns, I listen, I give some feedback on what they can try at home, and then I go straight to the teacher, and I go straight to working with the teacher, and ask the teacher, what are you concerned about? How can I help you? Is there anything you need from me? Um, so I don't even step on other team members' toes when a parent comes to me. I still go through with the teachers and also check in with them as well. I'm just I'm, I, I see school psychologists as a support person. We don't want to step on other people's toes. We're here for help. You know, people just have to find us. So I think if parents have gone to a principal, they're not getting what they want, whatever, that could be broad, but they feel they need more than your school psychologist. If you don't know who that is, you call the principal and ask, or you call the school receptionist, or you walk up to school and I want to speak to your psychologist. And if they're not there, then they're going to give a message. I've had parents show up at school and just say, you've got a parent that wants to see you. Never met them before, but that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, come to my office. Let's talk. You know what's going on. But um, that's where that advocacy comes in, Naja, where you may have to call more than once. You may have to go up there. Um, you may have to, if you email the assistant principal because they've been your point of contact, email them. After that 30 mail, 
maybe CCD principle if you're not hearing yeah. back, you know, sometimes you do have to add chains of commands when you're not getting responses. Yeah. Very good advice. Very good. And yeah. I'm not sure you take that advice because it's very good. So Absolutely. what can a parent do at home to um, support the goals of an IEP? Um, for an IEP or even a 504 plan, um, there are some um, recommendations or some strategies on these plans that also can be implemented at home. So like, for example, for reading, um, a lot of times in school, there is um, repetitive reading, guided reading, small group reading, audio to text reading. And we recommend that at home too. Um, we recommend for reading, don't have your child read maybe for more than 30 minutes a night maybe even every other night and have them pick the book and a book, a book on their instructional level. They may be in fifth grade, but if the reading's on a third grade level, then they should read third grade because they're getting too stressed reading fifth grade and they don't understand the words, yet alone read the words. It's going to be more frustrating. And now they just don't enjoy reading even more because they're trying so hard to read something that essentially they can't. So you give them something that they can read. Um, also checking in with the child, um, comprehension questions, uh, maybe after 15 minutes, tell me something about the story, asking very specific who, what, where, main character ideas. Um, if also, if the child has difficulty with like fluency or oral reading, reading out loud to themselves or to the parent so they can hear the mistakes that they're making and the parent can provide appropriate feedback. Okay, John, slow down. Okay, Sarah, you, you misread that word. Read it again. What does that word mean? Okay, what do you think is going to happen next? Those inferential comprehension questions. How do you think Bob the cat is feeling in this story? Um, so being able to participate in those reading instructions with your child in different ways can help with their fluency, comprehension, um, even when it comes to like letter sound recognition, um, flashcards, and you can even start small, doesn't have to be all 26, maybe you start with five. And that repetition at home is very good. But we also don't want homework or having parents do their own instruction time with children to feel like a chore for either one. So we do recommend small increments, nothing more than 30 minutes, breaks in between if you have to, and maybe one lesson, maybe Mondays is reading, Tuesday you have a break and Wednesday is math. Um, just so you're breaking it up and the child still gets that repetition at home. Flashcards are good. Websites are good, like ABC Mouse, um, Khan Academy, K-H-A-N Academy.com, because it provides academic work in the form of games that it's still fun for children, but they're still learning. And a lot of these programs, they still have their own progress bar. You can still test them. They can test themselves, beat their own score next time. Um, math cards even is about very good for flashcards for fluency when it comes to addition, multiplication, division. Um, my mom loved workbooks, but I think the workbooks were too hard for my instructional level. So always monitor your child's instructional level that if they're in one grade, but maybe they're a half a year below, you, you have to meet them where they are. You can challenge them, maybe give them something that would be on grade level, but maybe five problems, not all 10 problems. We don't want to overwhelm them or make them feel like we're pushing them past, like a limit that we haven't, a realistic limit that hasn't been set for them. You know what I mean? Um, so those different practices, um, I would say, um, also ask the teachers as well, 
Um, a lot of the materials that teachers use at school, they either have extras where they can provide it to the parent or they can send the parent a list of flashcards or words where the parent can print out at home. So also checking in with the teacher as well, um, because sometimes I've worked with teachers where they have extras of materials and they can provide the materials directly to the parent. So the parent doesn't have to make anything or print anything. So also see if the teacher has uh, materials that they're willing to share or send home with the child too. Okay, that's good. Working teamwork, teamwork. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is, how can a parent work with um, their child's IEP team to explore better services for them? Um, a coming, coming to every meeting, um, and as difficult as that may be, then communicate with the school if you can't be there. If, when they send you notification five days in advance, if you notice that the date and time doesn't match you, let them know because they're willing to reschedule meetings, but we can't reschedule the meeting the day of if the parent didn't tell us they couldn't make it or they tell us the day of they can't make it. We will reschedule. But if you know, if you tell us in advance, we can pick a day that works for you um, or a time that works for you. You don't have to come in, do it over the phone if that works for you um, or through like Zoom or Google Meet. We use a lot of time at work or Microsoft. Microsoft has their own like Microsoft team, which is their own Google Meet um, as well. So there's also different virtual platforms that can be used if a parent cannot attend um, in person. Um, on the rare instance that you can't attend at all, I would still think a parent should write all their questions down, all their comments if they just had comments, or anything they want to be addressed in the meeting. Um, maybe even come prepared with your questions, either send them to the teacher or the IEP team, 504 team before the meeting, um, or just come prepared with those questions. Um, that you want to make sure um, that you have answered. In the event that you can't attend at all, but you have the team proceed without you for whatever reason, again, still provide them with your feedback um, and your input. Um, because um, whether a parent attends or not, we understand things happen where parents just forget and they don't come to meetings. Um, Parents are always provided with um, as, um, the minutes. Like I give you our meeting minutes. Um, they're provided with minutes from the team, whether it's a 504 or IEP team. So the parent can also read back to what was addressed, what was concerned. And the parent can also make sure that what they want addressed and what they wanted stated is documented in those team notes. So it's always documented year after year what a parent has reported in the meeting. So attending those meetings are very important as well. Um, if your child is meeting with um, related service providers, either the school psychologist for behavior support, your social skill support, or speech therapy, occupational therapy, also even talking with the providers, either one-on-one -on -one or at the meetings, um, what type of supports that they could use that the parent could try at home for those specific areas, like social skills, as I mentioned before, um, having an adult in place when the child's playing with someone else, with a sibling, if they have trouble playing with other children and they're in social skills counseling at home, I mean, at school, then maybe having the parent facilitate playing between two siblings, or maybe they're there monitoring, supervising as they play to make sure they're back and forth, taking turns, asking each other questions asking each other's questions, um, seeing um, if the child's in speech, how can a parent help with speech at home? Talking directly with a speech therapist 
regarding, so how do I help my child with speech at home? What things do I need to do in occupational therapy at home? So um, sometimes asking those providers for some specific resources as well can help um, um, help address um, those specific areas of maybe like speech, occupational therapy, social skills as well. Um, also, take note to what your providers are saying at the meetings um, because schools do provide therapy supports in school, whether it's mental health, social, um, speech therapy, or occupational therapy. There are regulations that we have to follow and we do have restrictions within our setting. Um, so there's times where we recognize that the child needs more, um, maybe not rigid, but needs more, either more services more frequently, um, or they need other services that a school is just not equipped to provide because schools are not designed that way, but outside facilities are. We do recommend, sometimes we'll say, you know what, if parents ask, do they need an outside provider? Just, you know, consider it. Um, and that's where you may, you know, just talk with us. Um, I don't think I've, we may not formally recommend outside services, but we may, cons we may ask the parent to consult um, or talk to, talk to the pediatrician. I know when I feel that I'm not sure how to address a child's behavior concerns or mental health concerns, I will um, bring to the parent, have you expressed this to a pediatrician? Talk with your pediatrician. I think the doctor can help with on the medical side um, because we do recognize that we're not medical providers. Um, even if some providers in the school system have a medical background, we understand we can't provide certain things within a school district or with the school environment. So we will suggest to parents consider talking to the pediatrician and see what they have to say. Um, sometimes um, the parent has to consider outside services if just what the school provides is just not sufficient enough because the schools are not equipped for everything. You know, it's it's not a medical facility, so. Um, that's the, some of the few suggestions I have where a parent can work with the IEP team to help um, with services at home or even just wraparound services um, at school. Um, the IEP team always has um, a case manager. Each child has their own case manager that monitors the IEP. Um, if they don't provide the services themselves, then there is a, um, spe another special education teacher or a specialized paraeducator that is providing those services or interventions. Um, so they monitor to make sure the child's being met with um, as frequently as they should, monitor progress. Um, so that would be your point of, any parent's point of contact regarding concerns regarding the IEP team. Um, and if they wanna talk to the providers regarding social skills, their speech provider, then they can call that provider directly at the school to consult with them as well. Um, in my four years experience, I've never met a provider that was standoffish with the parent. We're always welcome to have a parent call for information, call for questions. We're very willing to consult with outside providers that the child works with. Um, we just ask parents to complete um, a permission form to give us permission to consult. But if a child is receiving outside therapies, um, whether that's mental health, speech therapy, um, schools do like to be in communication with that provider just to make sure that the school can try and replicate whatever the outside provider is doing. Um, or if it can't be replicated exactly, then maybe we can stay on topic. Maybe if we're both talking about acceptance or disappointment or speech or 
they're going over making the duh sound correctly. If we're all at least talking about the same topic, um, we can still have open cl collaboration that way. So that's also a good way to have um, parents work with the team if we can always collaborate with outside providers too. Okay. Now you mentioned outside um, providers and I know Naja also mentioned outside um, providers. If that's the case, it's costly. At any point, does the school assist with any outside um, providers that may need to have to intervene? Yes. Um, if the parent um, is in search for outside support, but um, finances are a concern, um, either the school psychologist will recommend the parent calling insurance for a list of providers that insurance does cover, or the school social worker is pretty good at providing um, or at least finding um, community-based services or programs that if they're not free, more cost-effective to the family, so they can still get supports in different areas. So consulting with a social worker, um, because social workers, some school psychologists may as well. I'm not the school psychologist that knows about community-based services. I always consult with my social worker on those, um, which is why I recommended the social worker for some community-based supports. Um, I've even gone to the social worker if a parent needs at-home behavior support. If they have any resources to provide at-home behavior supports, um, the social worker has also been helpful in that area as well. Um, and so that's always been my recommendation regarding community-based supports. Um, also, if there's ever, um, because there's times where I've had students go to a facility and I communicate with that facility, I'll just keep a running list for myself of facilities I've communicated with or worked with so I can refer that to a parent that needs help. So that's why I said you may be able to check with the school psychologist at the school, depending on their expertise, they may also be able to provide school-based, uh, not school-based, but community-based resources or programs that are more cost-effective um, to families. Okay. Naja, that might be something that you can explore. Um, cause you have mentioned, Absolutely. yeah. Um, that might be something that you can explore as well. So one last question. So let's see, what is the most challenging aspect for an IEP team? I would say, and I was looking over the questions, just for, you know, reviewing the questions before we met. And the first thing that came to my mind was time. And Time at even at IEP meetings, even when it's a meeting to review all the evaluation reports to discuss eligibility. Um, sometimes I feel, and I mean, other T IEP team members feel that way, teachers, parents, sometimes we feel that we have to rush through these meetings, either because the parent has to go back to work within an hour, the teacher has to go back to class. Um, also, the parents are overwhelmed with hearing all that information after 45 minutes. So they also don't wanna sit there anymore. They have to process what was just said first. So sometimes time, running out of time to go over things, parents running out of time to ask all their questions. So sometimes they forget or they don't ask at all. Um, and it's because they forgot to maybe ask that question at the next meeting or they thought I'll ask a psychologist when I get home and then they forget because more time has elapsed. So sometimes time, um, and sometimes teachers wish they had more time to work with students. Um, and sometimes wanting to provide more services to the child, but not having physical time just because there are only seven and a half hours in the school day and the child has to go to their other classes. 
So sometimes time also just not having enough time. And there's some times where I would like more time to do an evaluation, um, either because I want to give another test or I may have data to support that there's this deficit, but the test would help. Um, and I may have like only one more data test before my report is due. Um, so that I'm, I'm rushing to get the student or maybe I'm pulling the student maybe during recess and I don't want to, um, or maybe I'm getting them five minutes before recess is over to finish testing them. Or maybe halfway through music, I have to get them to finish their test. And we hate to do that. We never wanna pull a child out from a special or anything fun. Um, so that's very unfortunate. I would say time is a, a very challenging aspect for IEP teams. Um, and I will be very transparent. Um, finances, because that's what I find to be very challenging as an educator is the resources or lack thereof that districts have to support their children. And um, I don't, luckily I've had pretty good principals that um, try and get the resources or the financial resources that they need so we can help the students, but they get in a pickle themselves. Um, so sometimes financial resources also hinder um, the IEP process too. And that's where um, schools are paying for things out of pocket or if a parent does have third-party billing where they get Medicare, where we look for Medicare to reimburse for the finances so we can buy that program for their social skills counseling group or we can buy that chair because they squirm a lot. Now we can buy them the chair that they need for the next five years that they're at this elementary school. So finances um, provide different barriers to school and schools are always working around those barriers to still meet the needs of the child the best that we can. So I would say those seem to be the most challenging aspects in the IEP team process. Okay. Well, time is something that we're going to allow to um, give our parents an opportunity to ask some of those questions that they may have forgotten to ask mm -hmm. when they were um, in their meetings. So we're going to come back um, next month. And Lexi, you're going to answer questions that parents do. And our parent liaison, Naja, has been doing her homework behind the scenes. And she's been in the field and she's been asking parents questions and they have lots to say. So we're going to be bringing some parents on too to ask you some questions as we continue our next session on IEPs and 504s and what parents can do to help their children have a better start. So I want to thank my guests and my board members, my new board members, uh, Ms. Lexi Sims and Ms. Naja Smith for joining me today on this podcast. And we're going to return next month. Um, until then, if you would like to be a guest on this particular podcast, please send an email to shsicministry, one word, at gmail.com. And someone from our team will get back to you. And you can also reach out to Naja Smith because I'm sure she's been reaching out to a lot of people. And we would love to hear from you and we would love to have you on the show. Until next time, this is Dr. Caroline Thea Jones of Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry. And we're going to say have a great day.